I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I am uh, back two weeks in a row uh, because of popular demand. Mr. Oh, Sean, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sean Latimer, uh, uh, the, my uh, my second in command here, uh, back here on the Thoughts on Money podcast. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, demanding me to be back. <laughs> if you don't know where that joke comes from, is that uh, Sean took a, a three or four week hiatus and he thought he was getting kicked off. And I just wanted him to know that uh, our listeners love him and he's always welcome. And I'm putting him on blast on air right he now. He is. I appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm definitely happy to be here. For the record, very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, hey, this is what we're going to talk about today. There's an article I wrote called Practical Hedges. Um, if you go online right now and you go to any financial website, you're going to get to read a whole lot about inflation. Mm-hmm. Me and Sean, we have offices where we can um, see the ocean. So we can look out our windows and we see a bunch of... Cargo ships. Cargo ships, backed up, 30, 40, come over the toll road, see a bunch of them. Um, This is news. Uh, Disruptions in supply chain, uh, things and issues happening, and kind of you get to see uh, where the rubber meets the road or where the fin meets the water um, (laughs) on uh, what's causing uh, inflation or what the discussion's about. So we experience it every day. Um, Here's the problem. So a client calls in and they want to have a conversation or a potential client on what are you guys doing about inflation? Um, and I can pass the baton to you. What do you think they want to hear? Well, it's such a loaded question, too, because it's in their face all day, every day. Uh, I remember laughing with a, a few coworkers of ours about uh, there is like a whole segment on will there be enough pumpkins for Halloween and are prices going to skyrocket? And now what are we hearing about? Will there be enough turkeys? Are we going to be able to to afford Thanksgiving? And I think some of it is just that shock and awe, that wow factor to get clicks and get people interested. Yes, I think you're exactly right. And I was just thinking about this as you are talking about it. But it also is nice because you and me, like we talk financial planning all day. We want people, let's not talk in uh, the last 18 months, but we've wanted people to care about inflation. Yeah, right. We've not wanted, this much. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've wanted them to be like, hey, there's this kind of silent vampire in the background that's going to suck the blood of your finances um, and, and reduce the, the buying power. And it was never tangible. But now it's in people's face and they, they want like this... Um, I don't know, a very intellectual approach and, you know, uh, something they wouldn't have thought of and kind of, hey, how do we handle all of these things happening? Almost like, hey, recommend a, a stock or a sector or an angle or, or what you're doing to kind of solve for this. What are you doing differently than, than everyone else? Are you getting that a lot? Or I get the, how do we take advantage of this? <laughs> so they're kind of chuckling to myself that they're drinking the Kool-Aid, you know? Yeah, so this article I wrote called Practical Hedges, it's this idea that, um, you know, we are financial planners at heart. We've been waiting to talk about inflation, so we're excited about it. But what I want to provide for you, as the article alludes to, is is practical ideas within financial planning that we believe are powerful hedges. Now, I have four items that I want to discuss today, and my assumption, could be wrong, but my assumption is if I had uh, 10 clients in front of me or 10 prospective clients or 10 listeners in front of me right now, and I said, hey, guess what these four things are, uh, I don't think that they would guess them. No. Because I don't think they're intuitive, but I think that they have 
huge impacts on uh, hedging against inflation. So let's start with number one, uh, a 30-year fixed mortgage. How in the world does that uh, intersect with inflation? Well, I, I think you gave a really good example when we were talking about this article is your rent is one price. And if you're able to lock in a monthly payment at a similar price with a fixed rate for 30 years, that's powerful. And maybe maybe during uh, certain decades, it's less impactful. But days like now where we live in Orange County in Southern California, and the real estate market's crazy. Like It's hard to find a home to buy or rent. And so you're seeing that increased cost where you wouldn't have to necessarily deal with that if you had a fixed rate. Yeah. And um, I have not been married to my wife for 30 years. Uh, We've been together for for seven years. But even in seven years, I can go in the mental time machine, go back to that first place we rented and laugh at like, oh, wow, I wish our monthly cost was that right now. Mm -hmm. And if I went back back and said, hey, what does that place now cost to rent in Dana Point, California for 800 square feet that we lived in when we first got married? Um, My guess is it's about 50% more. Yeah. So if somebody could have, you know, purchased a home, and again, that's not advice, it has to be um, applicable to your situation. But what does it happen when you get a 30 year fixed mortgage? I think it says in the name, you get to fix your monthly cost, right? There's a couple of variables, maybe like property taxes or things like that. But for the most part, you on a cash flow standpoint, you know what to expect instead of a, a landlord saying, hey, I'm selling the place. You got to move out or things are different now. I need to raise rent or I made improvements. So I'm going it's going to be 15 or 20 percent more or whatever it might be. Yeah. So you you have to there's a bigger issue to talk about here of saying, does it make more sense to buyer rent. And we're leaving that to the side because we've talked about that before. They have their own associated costs. But more of the point is um, if you get to fix your monthly cost of living, housing situation, whatever the right uh, way uh, or verbiage to use, um, and you map that over 30 years, you could even do 2% inflation. And there's a huge hedge there. Right. Um, so if you're coming to me and you're saying, hey, what are some ideas for, for hedging? Um, you know, it, it could be uh, refinancing and extending that mortgage yeah. or fixing the rate or whatever it might be, because there is a huge embedded inflation hedge there. Yeah, because the bank can't go and change the rules on you once it's fixed, but a landlord absolutely could. Yeah, and um, and they will, right? It's in their best interest. Uh, incentives drive behavior, um, and if everything around you, uh, the prices are raising. Because part of inflation, we don't like to talk about it, but the more it is on the front of the news or whatever, what is every business owner going to try to do? They're going to try to front run that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make my pastrami sandwich $2 more now. Because yeah. my guess is that my cost of supplies are going to go up, so I'm just going to be one step ahead. And a landlord is going to have the same posture. And it is funny when you talk about like goods uh, and services because you're right. If a restaurant increases their sandwich from six dollars to seven or eight dollars, you might notice and be like, "Oh, they raise their prices." But you probably it's not impactful that you're maybe not going to buy that sandwich anymore. But that's a much bigger percentage increase than what's actually probably increasing by. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. I mean, we talk about it sometimes. There's uh, you know probably the biggest 
streaming what do you call that television uh network media whatever you call it um you know when i first started using them i think it was ten dollars a month and they very nonchalantly raised it to eleven dollars a month which is a you know whatever that is nine or ten percent increase in um in in actual total revenue and then it went from 11 to 12 to 13 14 and um you know testing whatever the word is the elasticity of that or or whatnot um on low dollar amounts uh, it's not huge i will say uh, we do have one advisor. We go to lunch every day, and uh, he is uh, very good at noticing if they raised menu prices. Because he, he often tells me, last time I paid this, it was a dollar. They must have changed the menu. <laughs> and I think he measures the quantity of food as well. And that's how he decides what he's going to eat that day. <laughs> yeah. So another topic people will talk about a lot is um, medical costs. Um, and you know, they might say, and we're going to talk about education, but, uh, there is this even further inflation amplifier on how much uh, medical expenses are today versus how much they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, now we won't get into a conversation on the reason for that. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of variables, but is there a hedge out there, um, against uh, medical costs? Because when you retire, that's going to be a big part of your bill. And let me go backwards. Again, I'm being long-winded here, but let me go backwards. If you look at your budget, and we're really talking about inflation, you you first want to go to the things that take up the most of your money. Right. And, and housing expense is going to be usually the top cost, right? For for most people, I'm not saying everybody, for most people that um, traditionally was like a third of their expenses. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can hedge a third of your expenses – you're moving the big boulders. It's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. So the second one is typically medical. Right. So how do you hedge against that health savings account? Yeah. Now, not everybody's eligible for it, right? You got to be in one of those high deductible plans. But what ends up happening, you place money into it, mm-hmm. um, you can invest it, and it grows tax free. The contributions are deductible. Dollars, yeah. yeah, are deductible. Um, and you can have this thing, you know, depending on how you allocate the portfolio. But one would assume you can have this thing grow faster than inflation. So what are you doing? You are creating an inflation hedge against medical expenses. So we just went from your your top expense to your second biggest expense. And we talked about real practical things. Now, you might come to us and say, no, 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 I just want, I want a ticker symbol. I want an idea. Yeah, yeah. I want an angle. Um, but what we're trying to tell you is that these are these are practical things that, that we believe uh, would, would have a – um, a measurable impact on a financial plan. Yeah, and one more thing to add for those of you who don't know, but a health savings account, it's the only thing that's actually triple tax-free because you're putting pre-tax dollars in, it's growing tax-free. And then if you use it for medical expenses, you're not paying taxes on those distributions in the future. So it's actually the only thing I, I believe that's triple tax-free. Yeah. Or um, close to. I think you're right. I, I can't think of anything else that comes to mind. And obviously, with any tax stuff, we would lean into somebody's CPA because each situation is unique. And um, if you qualify for a plan right. and all of that. But even regardless of that, I think you hit the nail on the head um, is one way if you're on a race, right? There's two horses. Um, one horse is the cost of goods or the cost of things that you're going to purchase. And the other horse is the your buying power, mm-hmm. right? One way to take a huge advantage of that is being tax efficient, Yeah. right? Because um, if, if you typically have this thing where you get a dollar and Uncle Sam takes 30 cents and you get to go spend 70 cents, if you can find a way to spend that whole dollar, that alone is a hedge against inflation. Yeah, that's true. And you, you know your example, if you're sitting in front of 10 people and you wanted them to guess, I feel like they would have guessed maybe this one because we've been talking about increased healthcare costs for forever. You know what I mean? I feel like that's 
where the inflation conversation did come up. It's pretty common. But uh, and then I think the next category that you're going to bring up now. So there's a couple of categories that people were already aware of. But now you're right. As you do get to later stage in life, you need to look at what expenses add up to your cash flow or your income statement. What's going to move the needle? If you don't have any children and you're not planning on sending anyone to college, you probably don't care about increased costs in education. But you're probably definitely going to care about healthcare costs going up. So I th- yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the HSA. But one thing I also think uh, about the HSA, why people – well, here, let me just talk about some common things that I see that people don't kind of uh, – mistakes. We'll call them mistakes. Sometimes I'll see somebody using an HSA and it just sits dormant and they yeah. don't understand that they can actually invest it. Right. The other thing that I don't think people fully appreciate is um, – and I don't know how to like explain this perfectly – but, you know, whatever the figure, um, you know, talk to your CPA on what you can put in there. But let's just make up a hypothetical. Let's say somebody could hypothetically set aside $7,000, mm-hmm. right? You do that for a decade, 7000 times 10 years, yeah. with some sort of investment. You get that thing to be, I don't know, $100,000. And then let's say you, you, the way you structure the portfolio is, uh, you know, kicking off dividends and interest of 4%. Again, we're just making up numbers for a hypothetical now you're talking about $4,000. Well, what's unique about that number? That might be your full deductible, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to get this thing gigantic to make a perpetual health insurance solution. Um, you just have to make it to where the you know average distribution you could take that would last a lifetime is greater than your deduction. And then all of a sudden, through you know a decade of planning, you've solved for medical expenses your entire life. Yeah. I think that's huge. That is huge. I think that opts you out of ever having to ex- to complain about medical expenses. Pretty much. And you mentioned uh, another thing uh, with, that, with those mistakes, not to be harsh, but sometimes people misunderstand the mechanics where they almost use it like a flexible spending account where they're putting money in, not investing it, and then spending it right away. Well, it almost defeats the purpose of having a high deductible plan. That is a great point because the flexible spending uh, account, you have to spend that intra year. Mm-hmm. The HSA. Um, the whole benefit is to invest it and leave it in there for years to come. Exactly. So, part of the way that you might strategically look at it is say, hey, I'm going to pay my medical expenses for a decade out of pocket. Yeah. And I'm just going to let this HSA compound because, you know, a, a decade of doing that, it, it might be 11 years for some people, 12 years, whatever. Um, it's going to solve for that problem, let alone. And you could argue that. Hopefully they're doing that at like peak earning years. They're younger. They probably have less medical things come up and then they have that nest egg for when they do need it. And maybe they don't have the income and things like that. Peak earning years deductions are nice too. That's right. So yeah, when we go through this list of practical hedges, um, if you didn't come to mind that when you see those ships out in the ocean backed up, um, that you might think a 30 year mortgage or an HSA is a good solution. But from a financial planning standpoint, it it is. And this is always going to be the lens of a financial planner. Um, If Sean or I was a macroeconomist, we would have a a lot of different things to talk about. Um, And it might be even more intellectually stimulating. But from a financial planner, um, it's a real dollars and cents thing Mm -hmm. on how you do this uh, to make sure that I do X, Y, Z. It's always checklists. It's always small turns, tiny pulls on the lever to make little improvements of this idea of optimizing. Yeah. The next thing, we've definitely talked about this, so I will I will steer away from, from, from sitting on this advice uh, for too long, but asset allocation becomes a huge part. Uh, we had a podcast. We talked about an article um, where, you know, one of the intros was, 
Here's the test question. What's the he- best hedge against inflation when it comes to an investment? Is it stocks, bonds, gold, or cash? And the answer, uh, not that we even have to tell you this is the actual answer on the test if you're taking one of these exams, it's stocks. Uh, stocks benefit. Why? Because they're micro ownerships and businesses. These businesses have a positive correlation with inflation because that inflation means their revenue goes up. Now, it doesn't mean their expenses go up because of cost of labor and stuff like that. It absolutely does. But if you look historically um, in regards to uh, a basket of investments, the best hedge against inflation has been stocks. So when you are trying to see, hey, for my portfolio, am I positioned well to hedge against inflation, whether inflation is 4% or 2%, um, part of that is going to be what is the makeup of your portfolio, right? Often we'll say, look at a pizza pie, right? There's all these different slices. We look Mm -hmm. at that as like diversification. You have these different pieces of stocks and bonds and cash and alternatives. We'll go through that list of allocations you have in your portfolio um, and start to measure what in finance we call a real return, R-E-A-L, a real return. What is the return net of inflation? Mm-hmm. You go look at current interest rates on cash. You go look at uh, current interest rates on 10-year government bonds. That real return is negative. Right. Um, the, the thing that I feel bad about is that um, we don't talk in real returns a lot. So if I went to you on the street and I said, hey, would you like to sign up for a negative return? You might punch me in the face. (laughs) But if you look at somebody's portfolio, are they signing up multiple slices of that pizza pie, large allocations to negative returns? We see it often. And unfortunately, that's how most people were taught to allocate their retirement portfolios in a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% conservative bonds. The problem is, Not only is there an opportunity cost with holding cash if there's inflation, there's also one now with fixed income, which can sometimes be up to half of someone's portfolio. So I I think we've talked about it a lot, but uh, it it is absolutely something people should be aware of. Yeah. Back to this idea that financial planners make checklists. Well, now you're looking at a checklist. Um, Does the way that I've I've handled my housing expense, what we call a 30-year mortgage, uh, there's other fashions you could do that, um, is that a hedge against inflation? Um, how am I handling my medical expenses, right? Top expense was probably housing. Next was medical. Is there a hedge against inflation? Now I look at my portfolio, right? Uh, we talked to a lot of people where their balance sheet um, really dwarfs their lifestyle or their expenses. Right. So for them, asset allocation can be gigantic, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, moving that that needle from one side to the other could make a huge difference in dividends and interest. It can make a huge difference in expected appreciation. And obviously, it can make a huge difference in volatility. But um, if you're wondering where the hedges are in your portfolio, I would go through the list of, uh, I would itemize everything you own. What is the expected return on that net of inflation? I, I would think in terms of real return. Yep. Another thing too that just kind of came to mind that that's come up often recently is sometimes people's portfolios, uh, they don't make up a large percentage of the person's balance sheet. And so that the same rules apply. You should look at the asset allocation and not just factor in a, a, a model or a rule because it should be assessed to the person's balance sheet and expenses. And if it's a much smaller percentage, then uh, you know maybe you can manage a little bit more volatility or depending on liquidity and all that good stuff. Yeah, and we talked about it a, a little last week on, on um, the podcast where we're, we were separating saying, hey, Let's just bifurcate. 
at some point in your life, you're an accumulator. At some point in your life, you're a distributor. And the, the two-word advice we gave to distributors is that you might need, here's my two words, more volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all comes back, back down to your financial plan. But um, if you really want to look at hedges against inflation, a lot of that's going to be solved by the design of your portfolio and what the expected return net of inflation is of each of those securities. And like I said, don't want to be a broken record, but if you went to somebody on the street or if they came into your bank and you quoted them interest rates in real returns, there's no way they would sign up for this. But um, again, inflation until this year wasn't really top of mind and people don't think of it. It is, it's mushy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when things are mushy, um, we choose to kind of uh, exclude those from our heuristics. Um, we don't do inflation with our mental math because it's it's not super easy to understand how that works. True. But you go look at 2% inflation um, in, in the most simple sense, um, your buying power, what you could actually buy with that dollar is going to get cut in half every 36 years, right? Rule of, rule of 72. Yeah. Um, you raise that inflation assumption a little bit, then it's going to get cut in half uh, even faster. Makes sense. So for, for a lot of folks, um, you know, just those three alone, looking at housing expenses, medical expenses, and asset allocation will be big needle movers from a financial planning perspective. Uh, there will be other folks that um, me and you have something in common. We have young kids. And educational expenses have been rising. Um, even just the the rise, I, I know you've seen this, but uh, in folks wanting to send their kids to private school. Yeah. Um, so this education expense is probably going to head up the itemization of your balance or your 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 um, your cash flow, your monthly expenses mm-hmm. to be something that's more meaningful. Um, so I'll hand it over to you. How in the world does one to go about hedging education expenses? Well, there's this thing called a 529 account. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> I'm kind of making a joke because people are well aware of 529 accounts most of the time. What I don't think they're aware of is how they actually work and when they should be used. Um, I, there's a lot of times where people come to me and say, hey, you know, what type of deduction do I get for putting this money into this account? And I have a senior in high school. How much should I put in? We're going to use the money in six months when they go to college. And I have to be kind of the bearer of bad news and say, hey, in California, you don't get a deduction. And I probably wouldn't contribute because if you're using that money in six months, there probably isn't going to be a large investment return where you get the tax advantage. It makes more sense for your, you know, your three-year-old grandson to contribute to that account. But uh, I, I think a couple of highlights would be just understanding the mechanics, the way it's invested, and you can kind of go into it in more detail. And then two, understand that certain states do allow state deductions, which maybe won't apply for grandma and grandpa if their income's higher, but it may definitely apply to their kids. Yeah, it's state by state on on the deduction side. And I think one of the biggest points that you brought up is most of these things create the greatest benefit when you plan very far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a senior in high school, the reason Sean's saying there's not a huge benefit going into the 529 plan is because the entire benefit, and I won't do a good job of explaining this on a podcast, but I'll try my best, is is the, the delta or the difference between what you put into it, which we would often call the cost basis or something. So the difference about what you put into the 529 and what it's actually worth, that, that, that gap or that difference is what you get to use for education tax-free. Mm-hmm. So how do you make that gap bigger is you have more compounding years, right? right. So when you get to compound something for 20 years and you, you front load those contributions, you can create 
a much larger gap between what you put into it and what it's worth. And in the, in the in the normal world of taxable accounts or whatever, we would call those like unrealized gains or, or how you ever would want to articulate that. Um, well, inside the 529 plan, y- you don't have to pay taxes on those if you use them for education expenses. Now, the, the hard part is that the federal tax law doesn't align with the state tax law on all of these things. So some of it's state specific. But in some states, you can also use that for um, – elementary school or mm-hmm. private high school or different things like that. So um, I have a couple of friends that sit on boards for uh, private high schools and they have long waiting lists um, with everything's happening in COVID and mandates and, and um, you know, is, is this school going to, this public school going to be, you know, school from home digital and this one's going to be in person. There has been such a large demand um, for private school. Now, I can't say that on a national level. I just really don't know. I can say that on a local level that um, most of the schools around us have a pretty long waiting list. Definitely. And the 529 could be a benefit to that. Um, There's other uh, ancillary benefits like putting that money can take it out of your estate. Um, So imagine if you do start saving for grandkids, right, where the compounding benefits of that – um, and maybe it's an inflation hedge you're doing for the next generation, but there are benefits to that. We talk about clients that have balance sheets that dwarf their lifestyle or their expectations and their desires is now legacy. So does a 529 plan or college savings kind of scratch that legacy itch? It does. Um, and kind of take the conversation full circle. If you really want to hedge against if so if you want to have an inflation conversation because it's intellectually stimulating and, and you just want to talk about kind of what's going on in the world at the coffee shop, perfect. Now if you actually want to talk inflation, how it relates to your portfolio, well you have your own inflation number because your mm-hmm. expenses are different than somebody else's. So what you should really do is categorize those expenses, itemize them biggest to smallest. And start at the top, the big rocks, like we'd call them, and say, hey, is there anything that I can do for this big rock to create an inflation hedge? And we've introduced what we think, um, maybe not all four of them, but there's some impact there for you, uh, kind of regardless of whatever listener you are, whether it's the mortgage or the HSA or the asset allocation or the 529, all of them or some of them or one of them should scratch a niche that makes a meaningful impact on your financial plan. Yeah. Can I add one more thing on the 529s? Yeah. One thing uh, uh, mechanically as well that is helpful is the person who opens the 529, they're, they're considered the owner. They have full control. So you can change the beneficiary or the, the, the grandson or granddaughter or the student at any time. And I, I think that that's important because I've heard uh, people say, you know, they've saved it or accumulated a pretty large amount in 529 account for nephews or nieces or grandkids. And it turns out that plans change or they're not making maybe the best decisions or and they're concerned of what they're going to do with that money, the, 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 the student. And I have to remind them that, no, 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 this is your money. You're in control of it. You can change it to another beneficiary. So um, if people are apprehensive or if they have questions, that might be something to understand. That's huge because, you know, if, if somebody sees a fork in the road and they're like, hey, am I going to do a 529 or am I going to do a UTMA or UGMA, a uniform gift to a minor? Mm-hmm. Um, when you do some of those, you are like a uniform gift to a minor. 
saying it's going to this it's person. It's a gift. Yeah. yeah, it's a gift. And you're then actually, in, in literal terms, you're the fiduciary. Right. Uh, you're responsible for making best decisions for that beneficiary until they are an age of majority or, or whatever the term is where they can take it. That's a great point on the 529. And um, I am a geek. I am a nerd when it comes to financial planning. So when you look at my kids' 529s, I definitely oversaved for them. But my thinking is, is that there will be surplus and that it will pass down to the next generation. And that compounding benefit is is immeasurable because when you look at, um, you know, all things being equal, say like, like you can't really push rates of return to be more um, or, you know, contributions all being equal, then time makes a gigantic difference, yeah. right? 10 years versus 20 years, go back to that uh, rule 72. Um, it, it's huge. Yeah, it's one of the only things you can't control, how much you're saving and how long. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... That's our advice, um, and we believe that the title is fitting. It, it, these are practical hedges, and um, like I said, we look out the window, we see the backup, <laughs> we read the news stories, we understand it's going on. We understand we have friends that uh, right now are like, I can't buy a car, like it's like, impossible, yeah. uh, or you know, I bought this car two years ago and I'm now selling it a used car as a used car more than I paid for it as a, a new car. And these are the idiosyncrasies of of the time that we live. Um, but these are not permanent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is not making a statement whether inflation is transitory or whatnot, even though uh, we have our beliefs and thoughts on that. Uh, it's more of saying, hey, when it comes to financial planning, you're not really trying to solve for the next six months. Uh, you're trying to find things that can really compound and create benefits for you. Yeah. So many of these things are getting you um, on the right trajectory. Like I do X, Y, Z, and it compounds X, Y, Z tax benefit. Or it creates this sort of expected rate of return or that. Um, so most of financial benefits uh, really come from from that analogy of like planting a seed, coming back a reasonable time later to go glean fruit from it, not the next day. Makes sense. So there you go. There's some practical hedges. Um, we will ask that you rate the podcast. All comments are welcome. Um, you can email either of us. You can address that to Trevor or Sean. Very easy email to remember. It's Tom. T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. And of course, we'll be back wait, next week. Wait, oh, wait. I don't think we will be. We will not be back next week <laughs> because we will be going around the table saying what we're thankful for um, or we'll be doing uh, Black Friday shopping. Uh, we will take a week off for Thanksgiving. So we thank you, Sean. We'll for be saying. back soon. <laughs> we'll be back soon. But we do wish all of you guys uh, a great Thanksgiving. We are thankful that you listen to this podcast. Um, and we look forward to being back with you after Thanksgiving with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. 
The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.